It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Last Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You're watching the 154th episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and today it's nothing but bad news for me. As a Syracuse fan, I had to watch the Orange get absolutely thrashed by UNC, but that's not all we'll talk about today. We're going to talk about just about every game that was played. Denver and Georgetown went into overtime. The Mount and LIU played a huge game. We had Delaware and Hofstra in OT, Utah and Virginia. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about a pretty much every game. There'll be a couple that I don't care about that I don't talk about. Before I get into that, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And if you're a listener, share, do whatever, just share the podcast with us. But you can also go to laxfactor.com, get swag there, t-shirts, hats. I got a Nike hat on today, but you can get all that crap there. So let's get into it and talk about North Carolina's shellacking of Syracuse to start us out. I don't really know what to say about this one. Syracuse is playing like a team that has either lost faith or their connection to their coaches. There's no other way to say it. The way that this one went down after getting already getting waxed by Notre Dame in the Dome, we've, we've gotten beat three times badly in the Dome, and I forget the stat, but it's something to the effect of it's the first time Syracuse has lost three games by seven or more at home ever in the history of the program. And this is supposed to be a team coming into the season that was one of the favorites in uh, to win both the ACC and potentially a national title. And right now they are in the basement of the ACC. Now, to be clear, being in the basement of the ACC, especially this season, is not the end of the world. Syracuse's problem is if they don't add that final game that got canceled against Utah back onto their schedule – the way they're playing right now, if they lose their final two games of the season and they don't pick up that game that got canceled, they could potentially finish a season below 500 and not even make the tournament in a season that they were supposed to be one of the favorites to win said tournament. I don't know how you go from being the one of the most promising teams in the country to legitimately one of the most disappointing teams in the country. Uh, the Syracuse defense, they offered up almost no resistance uh, to UNC all game long. UNC was able to score at will, and they did so all the way down their roster. When you look at the box score of this game, it looks like an ass whooping was put on the opposing team, and that that turned out to be true. It was a rout from the beginning. Thank God I was watching the game at a bar with a bunch of friends. The first time I'd actually gone out and congregated at a bar with a bunch of friends since COVID started. I hadn't done that in over a year. And so thank God I did that because as, as they were just getting ass whooped, we just moved on to bullshitting about other games and checking scores and things like that. Now, I don't want to trash on Syracuse this whole time. On UNC's side, they did what really good teams do. Their backs were against the wall as well. They were coming off two straight losses in ACC play, and they bounced back from those losses and put an absolute beatdown on the team that was in their way, standing in their way of getting another win and getting back into the win column. UNC, they kept their cutters coming, and where guys ended up being open, they hit them. 
Uh, 13 of UNC's 21 goals were assisted, and they scored a ton of early goals. It just went up on Syracuse from the very beginning, and Syracuse couldn't do anything right offensively or defensively. And that's not totally true, but it's pretty much true. You know, there was a couple of flashes where Dordovic looked good, but mostly it was all bad the entire game, all game long. UNC's uh, stat line, Chris Gray, 2-6. and six. Jacob Kelly, 2-2. Two and two. Alex Trippi, 2-2. Two and two. UNC outshot Syracuse by a margin. They out-hustled Syracuse by a margin, picking up more ground balls in Syracuse. They won more face-offs in Cuse, although Varello didn't look too bad. Varello won the bulk of the face. I think he was like, he took a lot of face-offs and he won uh, more than he lost uh, on the game. So maybe Varello ends up needing to be our new number one because Fop has... Fop has played well. He played well early in the season. He even did really well against P.D. LaSala in Syracuse's big win over UVA. Uh, the the trend lately has been Fop has played terrible against the rest of the ACC team since, and he's only really winning the battle when they're playing bad teams, Albany, things like that. And then Vermont, I mean, they win that game, but Fop and Varello both got waxed for the most part. So it's been tough, tough to watch at the dot, but Varello, hopefully he can maybe help. Maybe he's the one that turns this around for us. I'm not sure. Uh, for Syracuse, Tucker Dordovic, four goals, Rafis one and three. They both look decent, but you know they didn't get much help beyond that, and they just look totally discombobulated. Now, I have been a big supporter of John Desco. I've been one of the ones where the Syracuse bur- Boo Birds, after every loss, call for Desco's head. Sometimes they call for Desco's head after wins, and I have been very measured, and I have not been a part of that camp. And that's despite the fact I'm not a big fan of Desco's coaching style, and I haven't been since his very first season. I remember, I believe it was Mike Powell that Desco inherited as head coach when he took over. And right from the get-go, I didn't like how Desco used Powell. I felt like when you had a dude like Powell, especially where you weren't winning, you should have won a national title almost every time with this kid. I felt like they didn't use him right all the time. So, you know, I felt like a, a, a player like Powell was so good, and I don't care how much you want to develop everyone around him. He was so good that I felt like he needed to touch the ball on every possession. And just like Syracuse does now with their first-line midfield, where their first-line midfield on paper, the best midfield in the country coming into like the way they played last season and the season before that, the best midfield line in the country. And they pretty much split time with the twos. And it's not just that it's the flow of the game. I don't like the way he substitutes players, especially midfielders, because it's like that first line, they'll get a 40 second run, score a goal. And then the second line's coming back out. Why wouldn't you give these athletes a couple of runs, give them two possessions in a row, three possessions in a row where they start to roll, and then you start getting leads. They start playing better. They get into a flow, and then you can work the second line guys in to continue to develop them and make sure that they're playing tough. I feel like that's part of this problem. I feel like if we're seeing this as fans and if as fans we're getting frustrated, and I'm even hearing parents chirping as well about specifically the way that those midfield lines have played, and there's some other things as well, I feel like legitimately what we're seeing here is a team, I don't want to say, like, I don't want to say that they're giving up um, because I feel like, I feel like saying that a team's giving up, uh, like in a game like this, saying that they give up, I think that's a lazy observation. I think what we're what we're seeing here in reality is a team like in this game at least that they didn't respond well. Uh, like Syracuse didn't play well. Their game plan they either weren't executing their game plan or their game plan uh, wasn't working. 
And then uncharacteristically, we see Desco getting mad. Desco didn't have answers, and we, we didn't see them put anything together to make this respectable by the end. Usually you would expect a team like Syracuse that maybe you're going to get beat up. Maybe you're going to lose a game by five, six, seven goals. But to see it snowball and to see them never never really come at this with a whole lot of fight, it was frustrating to see. So I'm not calling for Desco's head. What I'm saying is they got to figure some shit out. Uh, Desco is failing his team right now as a coach. This team is now failing their coach. But in the end, they're kids, and this is a coach, a head coach, a guy who's been doing this for most of his life here, the bulk of his life. He's been coaching lacrosse at this point. So you got to put it on the coach. And we're, we're right now, I, I, I presume Syracuse is going to pick up a, a, a final game that, to replace that Utah one, and that they're going to finish the season and make the playoffs and all that crap. So Desco could t- put a, you know, he could tell us all to shut the F up and they could win one of these last two games, make the tournament. They could lose the next two games, win their final game, as long as they add a final game to their schedule, make the tournament. They'll still make the tournament. And then they could go on and make a run and we'll all be happy still. And I, I will shut up after that. I'm not calling for anyone's head. But if if Syracuse this season uh, loses these last two, wins the last game of the season, makes a tournament, and then gets bounced in the first round. I mean, that's a lot of expectations in the toilet. And I will not join the Boo Birds. I will not call for anybody's head. But I will be starting to wonder, is this the time? Every team comes to that point where you've got an aged coach who hasn't kept his team playing up to par, even in this tougher tougher landscape to coach. You, you know, you're not going to get into the Final Four every year, but you need to be playing better than this. And and this is just a frustrating way for it to go. And like I said, maybe I'm just pissed off and hung over today. That could be the, 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 the truth. So we'll see how these next games go. I have faith in this team. They could come out and they could beat UVA next weekend. They could lose to UVA, but still come back and beat Notre Dame on the road the weekend after that. They can still impress us. They have the talent to do it. Uh, we just have to see it, you know, to believe it here at this point. So I have faith they could do that, but the trends are what they are does not look good for Syracuse right now. Let's get off of this one. Cuse plays UVA next weekend. UNC, they host Notre Dame, so the ACC onslaught's going to continue. Denver and Georgetown played a hell of a game. Georgetown continued their trend of first losing to Denver and following up that early season loss to Denver with a later in the season win over Denver. Denver controlled most of the game. They held like a one or two goal lead most of the game. I watched this one before I went to watch a Cuse game. Big turning point, Denver had taken a 9-7 lead off a Jack Hanna snipe on an alley dodge down the right side. And then DeClan McDermott answered for Georgetown less than 40 seconds later to get back within 9-8. As this game went, Denver probably, like I I just assumed Denver was going to come back down on the other end. They were going to eventually score another goal and and get it back to a two-goal lead. That's how it had gone most of the game. But... Georgetown finally turned the tables. Dylan Watson scored a goal with 10-10 remaining in the fourth to tie things up at nines. And then Georgetown took their first lead of the game with 5-11 remaining in the contest off an unassisted Jake Carraway goal. I think that was Carraway's only goal of the game. Ethan Walker, he managed to tie. So, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, man, now Denver's got a score to tie it up and the, the, the minutes are waning here. But Ethan effing Walker, he comes to he ended up tying things up for Denver with 238 remaining, getting his hands free on a pick slip play. He was the slip, kind of set a pick, slipped underneath it, never really even made contact with the guy, sticks a corner. It was actually a nasty low to high uh, burner that he put past Mc, uh, McElroy. 
And then overtime ensued. Nothing happened there in the end of regulation. We go to overtime, and then Dylan McDermott stuck the game winner on a feed from Graham Bundy Jr. The big story in this game, you know, we could go deeper into what happened on that play in overtime, but the big story in this game, James Riley for Georgetown. He wins 16 of 24 from the dot against TD Erlin and Alex Stathakis, both guys coming in winning at a 70% or higher margin traditionally here. I mean, probably the, the best or second best faceoff duo in the country. And this Riley kid goes 16 of 24 against them. Stathakis and uh, Erlin both went four of 12. So the game ball here goes to Riley. I don't care what else happened. The game ball goes to Riley because that is not the way that stat was supposed to play out. So an incredible game by this kid at the faceoff dot. One of the most unexpected murkings, I would say, at the faceoff dot all year. I expected no question George or, uh, Denver would win 60% of these draws. And if they do, they win this ball game. Uh, Riley flipping the script at the dot and allowing Georgetown to both win the to win the possession battle. Denver did a very admirable job considering they got beat that bad at the faceoff dot. But yeah, great job by Riley. Dylan Watson's four goals, they were huge on a day that saw Caraway struggle. He was had one goal off 10 shots. A performance like that from Caraway would typically spell doom for Georgetown in a game like this. Not so because they win the possession battle and they played good enough defense to get by. Those extra possessions helped them win this game. Another factor in this one, Gibson Smith played and he played well. He didn't play. He had about, a, I think it was like a three-game stretch where he was out, and one of those games that he missed was the first time they played Denver. He didn't factor a ton in the stat line. I think he had maybe a cause turnover and a couple ground balls, but having that defensive leader, he's the glue that holds this defense together. Really, you could almost say he's the glue that holds this team together, him and Caraway and McElroy in cage. And him playing definitely helped. Both goalies played great. McElroy stopped 14 shots for Georgetown. Thompson stopped 15 for Denver. And they both came away with identical save percentages. So that is a good job by Thompson. If you really want to say, okay, how did Georgetown overcome that possession disparity? Especially with a good defense. Uh, with a, a, a team that plays as good defense as Georgetown. That was like very grammatically incorrect. But um, Thompson kept Denver in this game with his 15 saves. And he's not known to, for doing that but he played really well in this game so um tyranny and company had to be pleased even though they lost denver they end their regular season against st john's they're going to whack st john's and georgetown hosts providence in their next game and will end their season at loyola on may 1st loyola probably the second toughest team georgetown will face all year uh, after denver now we go on to the mount and LIU, they played a hell of a conference game here. LIU continued their impressive run with a two-goal win over Mount St. Mary's thanks to six goals and five helpers from Richie La Calandra. Now, someone had posted a question in the College Lacrosse discussion group on Facebook, my favorite lacrosse group by far to uh, take part in. College lacrosse discussion group, I think it is, or college, yeah, college lacrosse discussion group. So if you're not part of it, go to Facebook, search that group out, join it. It is incredible. 10,000 plus lacrosse fans that just chirp each other all the time, but it's friendly chirping. You got Maryland fans, savaging Syracuse fans, and it's just great. The, the, the amount of trash talk that goes on in this group mixed with just good uplifting crap as well. But the trash talk is good, clean, wholesome fun. And you don't see guys ripping on each other and getting legitimately mad. You see a bunch of guys that are just having fun riffing and things like that. So anyway, moral of the story, someone in that group had asked who's the most underrated attackman, you know, uh, that, that people don't really talk about and that he doesn't get the respect he needs. 
could be. I, I had made the joke on the post. I was the first one to comment. I said, "We don't. There isn't such a thing in this group because that group is is full of such huge lacrosse fans that everybody knows everybody. You know, these these pe- these are people who are connoisseurs of the sport for the most part. At least the people that really engage in the conversations. And uh, I changed that. I'd say Richie Lacalandro, the way he's been playing, he's one of those guys that a lot of people haven't seen him play. Luckily, I have. Uh, but a lot of people haven't seen him play. They don't really know about this kid, and he's putting up big numbers for LIU. So anyway, the Mount, they led this game, most of it, through into the third quarter. They were up by a goal, then two, then three, then two, then one, then two. Kind of went back and forth, but they, for the most part, they controlled this game right up until about midway through the third. That was a theme. Uh, every, it, the theme was every time LIU would try to get back into it and get within a goal, they would answer. The Mount would answer, I would say. The tides turned halfway through the third, though. After Mount St. Mary's took a 13-10 lead with nine and change left in the third quarter, Richie LaCalandra got to work. He assisted the game's next three goals for LIU, dishing two to Jake uh, Gillis and one to Nick Grassa, and then things were tied at 13. Run didn't stop there, though. LIU, they would extend that three-goal run into an eight-goal run with Blake Bellin scoring a couple, and then it ended up giving LIU a a 17-13 lead, and then that changed the shape of the game. Game's over, 17-15 by the end. Stat line, LIU, they flipped every stat pretty much. They lost out in almost every statistical category over the first half and then flipped them and won in all of those same uh, statistical categories in the second. Key turnarounds happening at the dot. Will Mark and LIU keeper... Uh, Will Mark, the LIU keeper, and then Anthony DiMatteo. Uh, De I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, they're Fogo. They each played well over the second half, so they got more saves in the second half than the Mount. They won more faceoffs over the second half than the Mount. And then La Calandra, six goals, five helpers. Blake Bellin, two goals, four helpers. And then Gillis with four goals. Huge game for LIU, though. Coming up April 24th against St. Joseph's. St. Joseph's is 5-0 and in the NEC. And they picked up a big win over Bryant yesterday. LIU is 5-1 and one in the NEC. A win over St. Joseph's next weekend would give them both, I believe, 6-1. and one. Or, or Actually, you know what? If, if they beat... Oh, no, no, no. St. Joseph's is, is undefeated. They're 5-0 and oh in play. So, yes, if LIU can beat St. Joseph's next weekend, I believe that gives uh, LIU the tiebreaker over St. Joseph's at that point, because they would have won that head to head because LIU, I think lost to Merrimack. So not sure how the tiebreaker works in that league, but I presume it's head to head wins out. So that would, after next weekend, LIU picks up a win and that'll be tough because St. Joseph's is legit, but they could end up being in the driver's seat of the, of the NEC. It, like I said, a lot of these lower level conferences playing great lacrosse right now. And they've been fun to watch how they, how they progress. Delaware, 14, Hofstra, 13 in overtime. Ty Kurtz, he scores the game winner in OT for Delaware as they pick up yet another huge conference win over Hofstra, but it was Charlie Kitchen's day overall. That kid went for six goals and three helpers in the Blue Hen win. Kurtz was also no slouch. He goes for four goals and two assists of his own, including that OT winner. Delaware kept Tierney off the scoreboard for, you know, for the most part all day long. He goes for a goal and an assist off six shots. So that hurt Hoster badly. Blue Hens were down by three goals entering the fourth quarter. They scored seven consecutive goals to take a three-goal lead with eight minutes left in the game, but then they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, let Hofstra chip back in. Hofstra scores with 49 seconds left in the fourth to force OT, and then Kurtz saved the day in overtime for Delaware. Delaware now leads the CAA with a 5-1 and one record. Drexel playing good lacrosse right now, man. They're behind them with a 4-2 uh, and two record, and Delaware has Towson and UMass to finish off their season. 
Let me get a drink here, man. I've just talked about a lot of lacrosse and my mouth. I'm a little bit hungover. Not bad. I don't get crunk anymore. But I'm bad enough that my mouth is dry and my tongue feels like it's a, like sandpaper in my mouth right now. Beautiful image for you guys to all, all think about here. Utah, 11, Virginia, 18. Utah impressed despite their seven-goal loss in Charlottesville on Saturday. They lost 18-11, but there's plenty of good to take away here uh, for both teams. For UVA, Xander Dixon has been impressive as of late, just adding depth to their midfield. He went for one and three. He went for a goal and three helpers in this win. Matt Moore, he only scored two goals and two assists, but he only took three shots, totally letting the game come to him in this one, and his homies were able to get involved. Peter Garno, he has a hat trick. He sniped some shots from outside. Connor Schellenberger, he puts up a hat trick of his own. Doc Saken, two goals off three shots. Ooh. Ian Laviano, two goals off six shots. Peyton Cormier, two goals off five shots. Far more efficient UVA team than against Duke. Obviously, though, they're playing Utah, not Duke, so that's going to happen. But they worked some things out. They came away looking like that work that they put in here and mixing it up and getting everyone involved is going to be something that will help them as they head into a game against Syracuse at home next weekend. Petey LaSala, he continued to do what he does, winning draws and scoring points. He won 20 of 26 on the day with a helper. His backup, Gavin Ty, shows that they got some depth. It's not needed depth at this point, but they have some depth behind LaSala. He won four of five. So that makes this final score for Utah even more impressive because despite that possession disparity, they were able to kind of hang and, and play a respectable game against Virginia. Uh, for Utah, they scrapped and never stopped scrapping. A game like this can get ugly quick. See the Syracuse and the UNC outcome. But Utah never gave up, and because of that, they ended up with a very respectable score. Carson Moyer, he puts up four goals in the loss for the Utes. And next up for UVA, home game against Syracuse. And Syracuse is struggling right now. Must-win game here at this point for Syracuse. So the Boo Birds are possibly going to see me join them in uh, chirping the, the orange. Rutgers and Hopkins. Typical outcome here has been the case with the big game so far this year. What was once a close game heading into the third quarter turned into a rout as Rutgers scored six consecutive goals to separate from Hop and win this one easy. Adam Charlambides, he goes for six goals and two assists. Can I say, thank God for the shot clock rules. It's worked out great. And we're seeing dudes come out and just play big lacrosse, put up big points. We're seeing high-scoring games. The shot clock is one of the best things that's happened. The legitimate shot clock as we have it now, one of the best things to happen in college across. Only change I'd like to make to it, I think the reset should go uh, reset at 60. I don't think they should reset it back to 80 seconds is all. But other than that, it's been a great rule. Kudos to the rule com uh, rules committee. Uh, let's see here. So, yeah, Charlotte Beatties, he goes for 6-2. and two. Uh, Connor cursed 4-2. and two. And then brother Colin cursed made 15 saves versus just 11 goals against. So, big day for them. Hopkins, they dropped to 2-7 and seven overall. Rutgers improves to 7-2. and two. Rutgers finishes up against Michigan next weekend. And it looks like the Scarlet Knights will not have to worry this year about getting left off the tournament field. I think that they win against Michigan by a margin. I believe the big does have a tournament. They'll pick up another win or two in the tournament. Giddy up, man. Rutgers is going to be in the tournament this year, I think, almost guaranteed. Another good game. Towson, man. Towson continues to impress after being so terrible last year. And I had said at the beginning of the season, they were the best terrible team that we've seen in a long time last year because they lost a bunch of close games. So despite their 8-0, 0-8 start, and they were on pace to be like 0-9, 0-10, continue to pick up some wins here. 
They uh, they got themselves back to 500. They're now six and six with that win over UMass. UMass drops to three and four now, uh, but Towson's you know they continue to just improve slowly but surely, and they've got a couple of quality wins under their belts now. James Avanzado he goes for four helpers in the win, and teammate Ryan Swain uh, went for three goals. Towson won despite getting torched at the dots. They lost 17 of 19 draws to UMass's Zach Hokeman. Uh, Towson, they were kind of able to offset that pos- their possession issues thanks to Shane Brennan's 13 saves in cage versus 19 shots face. So he played well. The shots that they put on cage saved all but six of them, baby, and that's going to get you a win. He won the goalie battle by a margin, and that was enough to help Towson overcome getting hijacked at the midfield uh, like they did. Towson did a great job defensively also of slowing down UMass's usually pretty potent offense. They won uh, – they – Oh, they won their one-on-one matchups for the most part where they needed to, and that made things tough for UMass all day long. It's just when you can't beat a guy and you can't win those one-on-one matchups, you draw slides, get the ball around and all that, it's going to make it tough. And that's despite UMass having all those extra possessions. So for Towson now, their list of wins come over teams like St. Joseph's, who's 5-3, and three, Loyola 5-5, five and five, Hofstra 6-4, and four, UMass at 3-4, and four, but still it's a big win for, for Towson. So good job uh, for the Tigers there. Boston U gets beat up by Army 14-8. Brendan Nickturn, he did just enough to help lift Army over Boston U on Saturday. His one goal and four helpers led Army in points, and teammate Nicholas Ettinger went for two goals and two helpers in that win, as is usually the case. Wyatt Schupler, he stopped more shots than he let up. He goes for 10 saves versus the 18 shots that he faced. Matt Garber played well for Boston U, though. He makes 17 saves on the day. So both goalies played well, but uh, Schupler's defense was just better, better than... Um, Boston Hughes was, but legitimately here, Garber playing as well as he did is the reason this wasn't a, you know, 16-8 or 16-6 score. So Boston U, who's got a pretty good record, you know, they still got shellacked here by Army in this one. Marquette, they needed four overtimes to get the job done and win this game over Providence. Devin Cohen, he nets the game winner unassisted with just three seconds left in the eighth quarter of this game. So that was a big one there. You know, not many people are paying attention to Marquette and Providence, but we end up getting an overtime contest out of them. So now we will go through some of these other box scores. I'll rip through. Bryant got beat up by St. Joseph's. I was surprised at that. I actually figured Bryant may come into come into this game and handle their business. Evan Campbell, he goes for three, he goes for three goals, two helpers for St. Joseph's in this win. Let's see what some of the other stories may have been here. Goalie battle. There's a big, huge goalie battle here that was won by Tucker Almany. Uh St. Joseph's goalie, he made 15 saves and only gave up five goals on the day. I mean, that's just a ridiculous save percentage. So he did a great job. Uh, And actually, it looks like he faced 43 shots. Um, And I don't know how many of those shots were on goal, but it looks like Bryant had a pretty poor shooting day because if if they only put 20 of their 43 shots on cage, it's not really good enough overall. But still, St. Joseph's did a great job. And then at the faceoff dot, here's the big one too, Zach Cole. For St. Joseph's, he wins 20 of 22 draws. So there's your ball game right there between excellent goalie play and Zach Cole absolutely massacring all comers. Uh, Nathan, and actually, Liber, um, I forgot how to pronounce his name, and someone told me how to pronounce uh, Lilliberti's name. I'm going to just say Lillibert uh, for now. But yeah, he only won 2 of 12, and the guy that spelled him won 0. He won none face-offs out of the 10 he took. So Zach Cole, he gets the game ball in this one for St. Joseph's. Hands down. Hell of a job by that kid. 
What else we got here? Bellarmine, they beat Cleveland State 11-4. High Point, they beat Mercer. High Point beats Mercer 16-10. Asher Nolting goes 3-3. Dalton Silver 4-1. Hunter Vines 1-3. So they got it from their usual suspects. Kevin Rogers, the transfer, he goes for four goals in this one. Sean Goldsmith for Mercer in the loss, 4-1. So he had a decent outing here. Parker Green had a big game for High Point. 13 saves against just 10 goals against... And then the face-off dots, what would we do here? Yeah, split about 50-50 here. Ashton Wood actually won 50 exactly. And then Colin Hoban and uh, Davis Sampier for high point split overall there. So high point, good game out of Nolting again, though. But they're playing a little bit better. But four and five, not going to do it here. They got to, who do they have next here? High point's going to end up finishing up their season. They've got Air Force next weekend and then Jacksonville after that but they've already lost to Richmond by a margin. So it looks like it looks like the uh the SoCon here Richmond's at 5 and 4, Jacksonville 6 and 5, you know, um overall, but then 4 and 0 oh for Richmond in the conference and Jacksonville's 4 and 1. So I I I dare say I'm going to go out on a limb and say Richmond's probably going to end up winning the SoCon and that that's not going to surprise anybody I don't think overall here. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? UMBC, they beat UMass Lowell 12-7. to Richmond beat up second place Jacksonville 14-7 to in a home game. So that improves Richmond to, I think, 5-4 and four if these um, records are in real time here. Richie Connell goes for three goals and a helper for Richmond. Dalton Young, 4-0 and for Richmond. And then what do we have here at the dot? Richmond won the Lions share of faceoffs. Jacob Griffin won 10 of 14 at the dot. Andrew Hamilton, when he came in, he wins six of eight. And uh, that ends up being that ends up being the margin in this one. They won most of the possessions. And then in cage, Russ Bolt played tough. 11 saves against just six goals that he gave up. Faced 17 shots. And uh, that's it. Richmond, Richmond pretty much is going to own the SoCon, it looks again. And they'll probably be the only team of, in the SoCon that makes a tournament. I don't see anyone uh, in the SoCon coming out of there with, a, with an at-large bid. So it's going to go to the conference champion, I think, for the most part. Even if Richmond ends up not winning their tournament, I think that they might even get left out depending on how things go, because you got the Big Ten, you've got the Big East, you know, Georgetown and Denver, both of those teams are probably going to end up making it. The Big Ten, you've got um, uh, uh, Rutgers and Maryland both making it. So there's four spots there. You have as many as at least four teams that are going to make the tournament coming out of the ACC, probably five, assuming Syracuse adds that last game to their schedule. So there's not a whole lot of spots available here for teams that don't win their conferences in the end. So see how that goes, though. Uh, what else we got? So I'm scrolling through here. I just don't want to miss anything that I should mention. Uh, St. John Villanova waxed St. John's 23-8. to Air Force waxed VMI 18-4. Drexel picks up an easy win over Fairfield. They win 19-7. to Oh, Loyola and Navy. Navy beats Loyola. I believe that's uh, Navy returning the favor also here. I believe if I look at this, Navy Loyola beat Navy in their first meeting. Navy turns around and beats Loyola 14 to 12 in this one. It was Christian Daniel. He goes one and five on the day. It's a big day for that kid. Uh, Dane Swanson, three and one goalie play here. Goalie play Spencer Ross, 15 saves against 12 goals against for Navy. That ends up being a big deal. And then the faceoff dot, Bailey Savio did not have a good day. He's always key. Loyola needs Bailey Savio to play well uh, for them to be able to be in games or at least to win tough games like this. Bailey Savio gets murked. He goes 12-27 because Jacob Jarose 
I guess is how you pronounce it for Navy, 15 to 25. So that ends up being that game right there. Your goalie played well. Your faceoff man played well. Your offensive guys do enough to, to win the game. So good job by the Navy crew there. What else? We're almost done. I can feel it. We are almost done talking about D1 lacrosse today. That is it. That's all I'm going to talk about. Uh, we had Merrimack beat Sacred Heart 14-10, and uh, that is it. So that is today's show, guys. Very sad day for me with the Syracuse loss. Uh, I probably will put out a bonus episode for audio only where I'll talk about some D2 and D3 action again. I don't know if I'll get it out tomorrow, Monday, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do that at least by Tuesday. I'll put a quick D2, D3 audio podcast out, but man, all these conferences are coming right down to the end here. We got the America East coming down to the last week or two of play. NEC is going to come down to the last week or two of play as well as the ACC and the big 10. Uh, no, the big Ten's decided. What am I talking about? I mean, the big East, uh, but I actually know Denver has won that. Man, you can tell, a little hungover, a little tired. I'm going to cut my losses here now. I'm going to get the hell out of here. So as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Watch Monday or Tuesday. We'll put out a bonus audio episode for D2, D3 coverage. And then I'll be back Wednesday to talk about anything else that happens. And we'll talk about the games that are leading into this week. We'll figure out where the conferences are close, where the best battles are and all that crap. And we'll talk about them as well. So as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, get some swag, support us there, watch our crap through the website, all the traffic we get there. If you, all of our videos we put up there now for the most part. So at least for the main podcast, you can go there to find them when you need to. And they're all archived there as well. So that is it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. Mm-hmm.